Amen. You may be seated this morning. I think I got a broken guitar pick. It flew this far, huh? That's, fine. That's awesome. Sorry. That's great, man. <laughs> he was jamming. Hey, good to see you this morning. Welcome to Renovation Church. Sophie, why don't you come up? We're going to dismiss the kids as Doreen is waving to me. Um, children, you are dismissed. Have a great time in Children's Church downstairs. Mrs. Maisie is standing at the back. Want me to hold it for you? Yeah. All right. And we're going to continue our series this morning in Exodus. So if you have your Bible, grab Exodus 18. And if you don't, it's going to be right up there for you. And Sophia's going to read for us this morning. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard, all... <laughs> heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons, the name of one of the sons was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliza, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he had encamped at the mountain of God. And when he said word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and went into a tent then Moses's father-in-law then Moses Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardships that had come had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Lord had that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the name of the Lord, who, is, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to the judge. Moses sat to the judge, sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from the morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening?" And Moses said to his father-in-law, "Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws." Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, do, what you are doing is not good, and the, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will, give you the, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way of which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, Look for able men from all, the, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you and will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place so in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. 
Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over all the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, any hard case they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter they decided for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Thank you. You can bring it right down. Thank you, Sophie. I had her read that because there's hard words and names in there, and I needed her to pronounce them instead of me. As those of you who have been around long enough know I can't do it. Um, let's pray. God, thank you this morning for your word that we get a chance to take some time this morning. One time a week, we set aside to be with each other, to worship you, and to hear from your word as you've revealed to us who you are, how you relate to us. God, we ask that you would do something in our hearts that only you can do this morning as we contemplate the conversion of Jethro, the advice of Jethro, as we contemplate your word this morning, I ask that you change me, that you would do something in my heart. All of us, as we get into your word this morning, change us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, here we are, Exodus 18, and we have been walking through the book of Exodus together, and it's, it's really one of those remarkable amazing stories of God as we see the life of Moses and what he's done. And I think this morning for us to understand the context of what's happening here as Jethro comes to meet with Moses, we got to look at a little bit of history. Um, and I think we have to contemplate um, just how God has been orchestrating um, events in the life of Moses and in history to have his will come to pass. And, you know, what's interesting about this story of Moses is it's not dissimilar, hopefully, from our story and God's work in our lives as he's orchestrated the story of our life. And that's really what I want to get at this morning. But you have to kind of go back. You got to go back to Abraham. You guys have heard Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And Abraham, as you go back into the book of, of Genesis, you realize Abraham, who had this relationship with God and was called by God, and God comes to him and says, Abraham, you're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. You're going to have many sons. How many of you guys remember anybody grow up in church singing the song? Doug's shaking his head, right? I was singing it this morning to wake my kids up. Father Abraham has many sons. I won't sing it for you. Anybody? No? If you grew up in church, you had to sing this corny song, and you'd shake one arm, right? And then you'd shake the other arm. No? All right. Some of you guys are with me. <clears throat> Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you, so, what is it, Doug? There you go, <laughs> that's it, yeah. So that was the children's song, and as you look at this, you see that, that God's word was true to Abraham. Not only did he have many sons, his sons are like the stars of the sky, because ultimately in Jesus, we were those people. And, uh, but you see that Abraham, after Sarah died, had many sons with another woman who he took as his wife, and one of those sons was Midian. And you see later on in the story, as you get to Joseph, anybody remember Joseph? Anybody seen uh, the play, what is it, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? But you got Joseph, who's the, who's the son of, well, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. And if you remember the story of Joseph, his brothers get jealous of him because he's having these dreams that his brothers are some, someday going to bow down and worship him. If you have a dream as a sibling that someday your siblings are going to bow down and worship you, let me just give you some advice. Don't tell them, right? 
Don't, don't let them know. So he lets his brothers know, hey, I had this great dream. You guys all worship me. And so what do they do? They grab him and they, they sell him, right? They throw him in a pit and then they sell him. And eventually Joseph comes into the custody of who? Midianites. You see Midian again. The son of Abraham is Midian. And then the Midianites take Joseph. And you see the Midianites who are really descendants of Abraham as well. As well as, as the Hebrews who obviously come through Isaac and Jacob. And then you see the Midianites take him, and eventually Joseph, if you read the story and follow it through, you see the hand of God as, as God brings Joseph into Egypt, and Joseph rises to power after sitting in prison for a while, and he becomes second in command to the Pharaoh in the, in the land of Egypt. Joseph, because of his incredible advice to the, to the Pharaoh, who is really the ruler of the known world, he's the most powerful man on the planet, Joseph, who rises to be his second in command, receives advice from God, gives this advice to Pharaoh, and actually saves Pharaoh and the people from starving to death in the midst of a plague. And so he saves them from starving to death. And in doing that, as you follow the story, you see that his brothers and his, his family end up traveling to Egypt because of the famine, and they're starving to death, and they end up kneeling before who? Joseph, as the dream comes to pass. And he has his brothers and, and rescues his family. And this family then settles in the land of Egypt. And then we see, as time goes by, another Pharaoh rises. And the Bible says, as we've read, as we've been walking through Exodus, another Pharaoh rises who does not know Joseph. And the people of Israel, as they have multiplied and as they've grown and as they've flourished in the land of Egypt, this Pharaoh who rises to power does not know Joseph, and this Pharaoh begins to, what, over time, enslave this group of people who we see historically are growing in number and are growing in power. And so this, ver this Pharaoh who does not know Joseph, he uh, decides, you know what, i got to watch out for these people, and he begins to enslave them and use them as slaves. And, and so the people of Israel over a long period of time, are now enslaved in the land of Egypt. And as we have been plotting through Exodus, you see God's rescue of his people. What do we see? We see Moses, this Hebrew, who now Pharaoh, in the midst of committing genocide on the people of Israel, remember this in Exodus? He's killing the firstborn of every Hebrew male. And, and so of every family, the firstborn male, he's killing all of them. So in the midst of genocide, you again see God's hand in orchestrating his work. And he, he, uh, he has uh, Moses' mother, when she gives birth to him, she what? She puts him in a basket, right? And floats him down the Nile. And where does Moses land? He, he lands in the, in the area of the river as, as God orchestrates his life. And he, he ends up floating in front of Pharaoh's daughter who finds this child. Pharaoh's daughter raises Moses as her own. Here's this man, Moses, who's really a Hebrew, who looks like an Israelite, who's now being raised as an Egyptian prince, who's in, getting his Ph.D. in Egyptology. He's learning everything about Egypt. He, he, he looks physically like a Hebrew, but he dresses and acts and talks like an Egyptian. And we see the story as we've walked through Exodus where, where Moses then begins to identify with, it, with his people, with the Hebrews, and he begins to see their plight, and it bothers him. Moses stumbles upon an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew slave, and Moses kills him. And when he kills him, Moses flees, right? And as Moses flees, he goes where? To the land of Midian. And he comes upon these women at a well. And folks that are coming to steal from them. And Moses jumps to their rescue, and he saves these young girls, and he goes back to their father, Jethro. And who's Jethro? Jethro's a priest of Midian. 
One of the high priests of Midian, potentially, scholars argue he may have been. And here is this man now coming full circle into the land of Midian. And Jethro gives to him his oldest daughter, Zipporah, and he marries her, and he has sons. And he spends 40 years now in Midian, um, in probably the greatest learning ground of any leader in history, tending to sheep, right? From what I've heard, I don't know anything about sheep, but I've listened to people that know things about sheep. They're the dumbest, most obstinate animals alive, right? They, they, they're stubborn and they're dumb. And Moses spent 40 years hanging out with a bunch of stubborn, dumb sheep um, because he was about to spend his next 40 years hanging out with a bunch of stubborn, <laughs> difficult people, right? <laughs> As he's traveling around in the desert. So he's in the learning ground of the shepherd, and he's in Midian. And he's with his father-in-law Jethro, learning from him. Now the Midianites, who, as we've just talked about, are descendants of Abraham, at this point, they have left God. They have left the one true God. They're no longer worshiping Jehovah. They're no longer worshiping Yahweh. At this point, the Midian, Midianites are worshiping many gods. A lot like the Egyptians, they, they worship Baal. They worship this uh, Shira, the, the a goddess. And they worship Baal. And those of you who've, who've uh, looked through... The Old Testament, you see Baal worship often throughout the Old Testament. Another uh, name for Baal is the Lord of the Flies. He was um, someone that you see as a false god that's, that's worshipped by a lot of polytheists, those who worship many gods. And, and so you see this man, Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, who's a priest of Midian, who worships many gods. Now, Moses, at one point, as we follow through the book of Exodus... After he's married his daughter and spent all this time with him, now comes to the burning bush and God speaks to him. And God calls him to go to Egypt to be this leader who goes into the land of Egypt and speaks to the most powerful human being on the planet and says, hey, I want you to let all your slaves go because they're my people and we need to be free. And, and Jethro, as, as we see here in Exodus chapter 18, he witnesses this. He witnesses Moses obey. He witnesses Moses respond first by saying, hey, I don't talk very good. Why don't you get somebody else, right? Remember this? And God's like, no, it's you. And he brings Aaron alongside of him, and he goes to Egypt. And then he sees, as we see in Exodus chapter 18, that, that there is plagues in Egypt. Now, Jethro doesn't, doesn't live too far from here, and, and he would commonly run into Egyptians. You know that Jethro would have heard what was going on with his son-in-law as he left his wife and children with Jethro to keep them safe, and he goes to Egypt. And we've already walked through this together in the book of Exodus, if you've been here, and you see God's faithfulness to the people of Israel. The plagues come, and he declares that the plagues are going to come upon these people so that, so that they know, and the Hebrews know, that he's God. And you see God demonstrate himself and how strong he is in the story of their lives. And God redeems them and he protects them through the plagues. And eventually Pharaoh says, all right, enough, go ahead, get out of here. And, and the people of, of Israel rise up and they leave Egypt together with Moses leading them. And then as they leave, Pharaoh thinks better of it, right? And he goes, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just let those people go. Forget it. We're going to go pursue them. And so Pharaoh and all his armies pursue the people of Israel. What do you think about this for a minute? If you're Jethro. Here's Jethro. He's heard ramblings, mumbling of what's happened with his son-in-law. And now they've gotten to a place 
that's familiar to Jethro at the mountain of God, Sinai, and they're in camp there. And Jethro goes to him. His father-in-law goes to him. And we see in Exodus chapter 18, he comes with Moses' wife and his children to, to, to be back with them, to, to have a time with them because they obviously have not been together. And so Jethro and his daughter, Moses' wife and the children, go to meet with Moses. And when they meet them, you see that the word of God focuses not on the reunion of a husband and a wife, and not on the reunion of a husband and his children, but the Word of God takes this time, this moment for us to look at, and focuses on the reunion of a father-in-law and a son-in-law. And he greets him, and he greets him well, and they spend some time together, and they go into the tent. And they, as we see in Scripture, Moses fills in the blanks. Can you imagine this? Jethro showing up, hearing the ramblings. Okay, here's Moses now, this great leader. All these people are following them. They're all camped here, and he shows up, and he, and he says he's glad to see his son-in-law, and they go into the tent, and here's Moses describing for him what has happened in his life. Can you imagine the amazing grace story that Moses is telling Jethro? Think about this for a moment. I mean, they sit down, and they spend some time together. Moses says, man, the Egyptians were, were on our tail. The armies were following us, and God called us to cross the Red Sea. Can you imagine telling this story for the first time? And you got the Egyptians on your back, and the Red Sea's in front of you, and Moses said, God said, just, just step into the water and put the staff down. And, and when I did it, the Red Sea split. And we, we traveled through the Red Sea on dry ground. And we walked through, and as we walked through, the Egyptians were still coming. And they all traveled into the dry ground in between the walls of water. And as we got to the other side, the walls came crashing in and drowned the Egyptian army. How amazing. Jethro, we were in the desert. We were starving. We had nothing to eat. We cried out to God and said, God, we're starving. We have nothing to eat. Have you just brought us out here to die? And God sent manna from heaven. Every morning we wake up. You'll see it tomorrow, Jethro. When we wake up, there's going to be manna from heaven for us to eat. We collect it every single day, and there's enough for us to eat every day. And on the sixth day, we collect enough for the sixth and the next day so we can have a Sabbath. And Jethro begins to witness the provision of God in the life of Moses and the people he's let out of the land of Egypt. Jethro, we were thirsty. We were going to die. And God told me to hit a rock with his staff and water came out. And we've been drinking water from this rock. That'd be a fun story to tell, wouldn't it? And Jethro, this Midianite priest who worships many gods, hears the story of God's faithfulness to Moses and the people of Israel. The plagues, the manna, the Red Sea, the rock, and then Moses begins to tell him, as we moved into the land, the, the Amalekites came against us. And I stood, and God told me to hold my staff in the air. And as I held my staff in the air, we defeated the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites and the Midianites were pretty close. They knew of each other. There is no question that Jethro would have known of this battle where God rescued the people of Israel and they defeated the Amalekites. And we see this incredible verse in Exodus 18, verse 11. Jethro, after hearing the story of Moses, after spending time with his son-in-law in the tent, this priest of Midian who worships all these other gods declares to Moses, now I know, in verse 11, that the Lord is greater 
than all other gods. Amen? So in this chapter, we see Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12, we see the conversion of Jethro. We see a man whose life is changed as he sits by and watches the story of God unfold in the life of his son-in-law and in the life of the people of Israel. We see God do something in the life of Jethro that's really powerful, that's amazing. As this man is completely different in his religious affiliation, as he's a polytheist who worships many gods and is not just a priest but maybe a high priest he witnesses the the work of God in the life of Moses and in the life of those people and after this meeting in the tent he walks out and he declares now I know that the Lord is above all gods the Lord is greater than any other God amen what's your story I know that each of us in this room, you got a story. Maybe you're seeking this morning. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, what's the deal with this Christian God? What's the deal with this Bible? Does this intellectually make sense? Does this reasonably make sense to me? And, and God has done maybe things in your life or you've experienced things in your life. And I, and I, I would venture to say that every single person sitting in this room is, is completely different. They don't they have similarities, but, but no one's just like the other. Everyone has different experiences in life, things that have happened, and people that have come in and out of your lives, and tragedy, and hurt, and difficulty. And, and maybe you can look back on your life, and you as a Christian, you look back on your life, and you see the hand of God orchestrating your story. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you sit here, and you're skeptical, and you think, I don't know if I believe in this Bible. I don't know if I believe in God, per se, but I've experienced all these things. What is your story this morning? I put on a shirt this morning that's different than this shirt. And the story for me this morning was that that shirt somehow had gotten much smaller. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, the story of my life in May of 2015 is that I'm fatter than I've ever been in the history of my life. And this is a big part of my story. I looked at Trisha this morning. I'm like, this shirt okay? She's like, nah. It's not going to cut it this morning. So I have to contemplate throwing it out or waiting to lose weight. Now, what's your story? What's your grace story this morning? What is the story of your life? And, and I, I, I began, as I was preparing this, began to think about the story that God's given me. And, uh, and I can see. Listen, as, as, I've, as a young man at one point and getting older, pushing 40, contemplated Christianity, contemplated God in my life. I can't help now but look back and see his hand orchestrating areas of my life. I grew up with parents who went to church. I grew up with parents who, who told me about Jesus, who told me about God, and so I had a semblance of faith that was theirs, and, and I definitely came to a place in life where it was their thing, and I just went to church, and I checked the box and thought, okay, I went to church today, that, did that, because I have to. I have no other choice, but this is what I want to do with my life. This is, and, and I'll never forget moments in my life. I remember being at a church in Baldwinsville as about a seven- or eight-year-old boy and listening to a preacher. I distinctly remember this. I don't know what he was saying right now, but I remember at seven or eight years old going, I need that. And he called people to come forward and respond 
And I walked by my parents, and they're like, where are you going? I'm like, up there. <laughs> and I walked up the front row, and I knelt down in front of this guy, and I prayed with him. I remember that being an impacting moment in my life. I remember moments as a teenager just doing whatever the heck I wanted, thinking I was smarter than everybody else, and, and thinking I knew more than anybody, and just running around doing what I wanted and, and going to church and sleeping. My pastor, when I was a kid, used to say, watch now. You guys remember that, Trey? He said that so many times during a message that the, the most entertainment I got out of the sermons was to count it. How many times did he say, watch now? <laughs> and, and so, and then I distinctly remember as a young man sitting in a, in a youth ministry meeting and hearing a youth pastor preach the gospel and, and talk about Jesus. I remember thinking to myself as a teenager, if this is true, the implications of this are huge for me. If this is more than just me showing up at a place once a week that's boring or that annoys me, if there's more to it than that, then the implications of it are huge. And maybe I should really think about what I say I believe. And I began to pursue it. And, and I got to tell you, I came to a place intellectually where it made more sense than anything else. And I said, yes, Christianity to me reasonably, intellectually makes more sense as I've pursued it than anything else. And then at the same time, existentially, it wasn't just intellectually, it was existentially, I had experienced so many moments of the presence of God in my life that there, there came a place for me where there was no doubt that God was at work in my life and he is who he says he is. I don't know if you've had that experience or not. So I began to live a life as I began to grasp the gospel as a young man, not of if I do this, 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 and this, then God will like me more today. How many of you guys have been in that rat race? But recognizing that it's not about what I do every day. It's about what he did. As you see Moses pointing to Jesus in the gospel, I began to realize that Jesus, we're going to get to it in a minute because I'm way off my script, becomes the great judge who ultimately rescued me. There was nothing I could do to save myself. Jesus loved us so much that he paid the price that we deserve to pay. And now I get to live a life not of brownie points, not of legalism, not of do this and don't do that so that maybe God will like me more today, but I get to live a life that says he did it all. There's nothing I could do to save myself, and he lived the life that I couldn't live, and he paid the price I deserve to pay, so now I just live a life that's grateful, right? Out of worship, and that's what we see here. We see a gratefulness in Moses and in Jethro, and, and Jethro declares, God has rescued you guys, and he is the Lord that's greater than all other gods, and you see this conversion. What I've begun to recognize and what I want to challenge you this morning as we look at the word of God is that if God has given you that story, he didn't give it to you just for you, right? You think God came into your life and rescued you and has orchestrated events of your life to bring you to a place where you can be in relationship with him just so you can keep that to yourself and hang out. See, your grace story is unlike any other grace story on planet earth. There is nobody on this planet that has a story just like you do. And God has moved in your life in a particular way because not only do we have a message that he's given us, but he's sending you on mission with him to, to declare with your life that message of how God's done something in your life. Does that make sense to everybody? St. Francis of Assisi said this. He said, preach often and when necessary, use words. Right? You ever hear that saying before? 
And, and what God's called us to is to live lives that demonstrate the glory of God so that people don't just hear what you're saying and see something different, but so that people can be a witness to your life, not that you're perfect, I'm not perfect, I don't think that's a good testimony, a good testimony anyway. People get to be a witness to your life and see that through your imperfections, through your failure, through tragedy in your life, through difficulty, through good times, they can see the grace of God in your life and, and, and talk to you and say, wow, maybe this God is real. You hear what I'm saying this morning? That's what God wants to do in our lives. God has brought us together to be on mission with him and to live lives that declare the story of God to the world, to those who need to know God. Amen? And that's what happens with Jethro and Moses. We see Jethro's conversion. And then the second part of this chapter, in verses 13 through 27, we see Jethro's advice. Take a look at this. Jethro comes to uh, Moses and he sees Moses sitting as a judge over people. And, and here's the deal. So Moses has got all the people of Israel together, and he is now out in the desert. And it'd be very common for a military and a political leader to also be the judge. And what we've seen through Exodus is Moses has gone to God to get a word from God, and then he's declared the word of God to the people. Do you guys remember this? And so now here are all the people, and guess what the people have? Problems. They got a ton of Problems. They got issues like crazy. And so Moses is sitting as a judge, and he's hearing cases. This is really a judicial system we see in the rest of this chapter. We see Moses as the judge, and the people as these litigants, and they are litigating their cases in front of Moses, and he's deciding who's right and who's wrong. And he's hearing from God. And Jethro, who's just been converted, comes to Moses, and he sees him sitting there all day long. He's like, hey, what are you doing? He looks at him and he says, Moses, what you're doing is not good. How many of you guys love to hear that? Who loves criticism here? Come on. Who loves to be criticized? Especially when you've been doing all the work, right? How many of you ever felt like that? Like, you've been doing all the work. You've been leading this thing. You've been the one who's like, going to Pharaoh and putting your life on the line, you're the one walking around in the desert with a bunch of people who are incessantly complaining, we're thirsty, we're hungry. You're the one who's been sitting in front of all these people and dealing with all of their issues, and now his father-in-law, who just shows up, your father-in-law, right? The father-in-law shows up, he gets converted, and he looks at him and he says, the first thing he sees him doing, he looks at him and says, ah, what you're doing is not good. How many of you guys think at that moment Moses probably could have lost it, Right? What do you mean what I'm doing is not good? Shut up. <laughs> right? Who are you to explain to me what I should or shouldn't be doing? Moses doesn't respond like that. I think that's telling. I think we see something in the life of Moses that really demonstrates for us good leadership, right? We see a humility in this guy that's, that I think, frankly, remarkable. I know that there's been moments in my life where I've needed he good advice. How many of you guys have been there? In fact, I gotta tell you, if you don't have people in your life that can speak to you truth, even when you don't wanna hear it, you're destined for some hard times. We all need people that can get in our face and say, hey, you're being stupid. What are you doing? This isn't good. And, and thank God for those moments in my life. I, I wanted to plant a church in Boston when I was... Uh, a young man who had just um, 
left the church where I was youth pastoring, went out to Portland and planted a church with my brother and my wife, and little Sophie was in a, she was this big then, and, and we came back home, and, and I began to contemplate different things and thought, you know what, I'm just going to go plant a church in Boston, because that's all, that's all I thought I could do, and my brother actually got in my face, and he was like, you're being stupid, and I remember this fight. I remember us screaming at each other. I remember yelling in the kitchen, saying, what are you talking about? Who are you to say this to me? And when him and I would fight, generally, people just left. And we both grew up wrestling, so as teenagers, my mother would just move lamps and just move things, and we'd roll through the house. <coughs> so <coughs> and this didn't turn into a wrestling match, but it, it, was a, uh, uh, it was kind of a knockdown yelling match between the two of us. And, and I remember getting ticked and him leaving and me going into my bedroom and closing the door and putting my hands in my head and thinking, dang it, he's right. <laughs> that was stupid. This is good advice. In my life, I began to contemplate some other things. I thought about maybe going to law school and moving out to Boston, which at the time seemed stupid um, to most. And, and I remember the advice of my father. I remember being in Boston and contemplating whether or not this was a good move and scared. I had a, a wife. I had a kid. I didn't have a job. Um, the rent in Boston was 1600 bucks a month for a crappy apartment in a really bad neighborhood. And, and I had just gotten into law school, and I was panicking. I was panicking and thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? And I remember my dad saying, this is the right thing. You can do this. You, you don't have to just be a preacher or, or whatever. God can call you to do many things, he said to me. You could be a lawyer. You can be a pastor. You can do a lot of things in your life, and this is a part of your story. And those words to me, that advice in that moment made me say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out. How many of you guys have lived life that way? Because we see Moses not sitting around doing nothing. We see Moses obeying, right? We see Moses stepping into the Red Sea with the Egyptians on his back and the Red Sea in front of him and watching to see if God's going to split the Red Sea. And it's that life of obedience following good advice that led to God doing things in his life that, that brought Jethro to a place of conversion, right? You got to be open to hearing what people have to say. Sometimes amidst the worst, most harsh criticism in your life that would cause in you the kind of reaction that you may feel is justified as you go back and contemplate what that person maybe improperly said to you, maybe said to you with the wrong attitude or with the wrong spirit, as you go back and contemplate it, I guarantee you there may be times where you find some significant truth in what they're saying. Have you had those moments? If you are someone who rejects that advice, if you're someone who rises up in pride and says, who are you to tell me and moves on and doesn't contemplate whether or not there's any truth that that person is directing towards you that needs adjustment in you, you're never going to grow. You're never going to get where you need to be. You're never going to be the kind of leader that Moses was. Does that make sense to everybody? Jethro gives him good advice. Jethro speaks truth to him and Jethro says to him look if you listen to me God's going to show himself you test and see if God doesn't want you to employ this plan that I've given to you and you see Moses do it and God comes through what does he do he puts men he delegates men um, to that 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 aren't men that aren't connected not men that know somebody not men that that um 
are necessarily related to him, but what he does in the leadership of the people of Israel as he uh, creates a new government and as he creates a new judicial system, who does he pick? Jethro tells him, you pick men who are honest, men who have integrity, and men who are going to tell the truth. And so that's what Moses does. He finds men of integrity who are honest and who are going to speak the truth. And he sets them over different population groups of people to, to judge. And they become the judges that take off of Moses' plate the, the, the constant judging because if his plan was from God, that he would be the judge for everything, why is there so much frustration? Why are people waiting forever to have their cases adjudicated. So Moses takes the advice, he employs it, and he puts people over. And Moses, in essence, becomes the Supreme Court, right? If there's a big case that, that no one can decide, then I'm going to be the guy that decides. But other than that, Moses now has time as a leader to do the things he's called to do, and that's to uh, pray and worship and administer the Word of God to people. That's what we see in Exodus chapter 18. Okay. So we're a church plant, right? Here we are. We started, when did we start, Mike? August? Thank you, 2013. So we start this church, and we get a group of people together, and we, we've started this church around the idea, not that, that it's about gathering a bunch of people together and growing a big church and worshiping and making our names great, right? We could care less about that. What our goal is to do is to be together, worship God, and to be on mission together and to go out and share our grace story with the people around us. There's this idea sometimes in church that, that the pastors or the priests are the guys that get to do the ministry, right? They're the guys that do all the preaching, do all the sharing, do all the teaching, and do all the stuff. And, and what we see in the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 4 is that God has called some people to be pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers, but their job is to do what? Equip the saints to do the ministry. What we recognize is we stand on the Word of God and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer for the world. We realize that it's not a pastor who's going to communicate that to the people that need to hear it, but it's you and me. Where's, where's your circle of influence? Where's God put you? Where, who are the people around your life? Because I don't know the people you know. I don't know who's in your family. I don't know who you see every day when you go to work. I don't know who you see every day when you hang with uh, people in your neighborhood. And what we recognize is that God has, has done something in our life that's as remarkable as we see he did in Moses' life. And he's given us a story of his redemption and of him bringing us back into his presence so that we can be with him through the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we believe that and if that's something that has happened in our lives, he's called you to declare that through your actions and through your words to the people around you in your realms of influence, whether it be your family, your work, or your neighborhood. Does that make sense? what God's called us to do. I'm pretty simple. I don't know a lot. But I know this. That God's done something remarkable in my life that I can't explain. I know that he's changed me. As I look back on my life, I see his hand guiding it. I take comfort in the fact that he's in control. Amen? Even when I don't understand, even when I don't know, I know what? I know that he knows. I recognize that I need him. 
not in an arrogant way, but in, in a way that, that, that demonstrates I can't save myself. I need him to save me, and I rely on him. And I've said this before, to the degree that you're relying on the chair right now that you're sitting in to hold the weight of your body, and if it wasn't there, you'd fall on the floor. That's how I'm relying on him for salvation. And I know that God's heart is that he would be glorified in the world and that his gospel would be demonstrated to people around. And the only way that that happens is if we go. And if we declare the word of God to the same degree that Moses sits down with Jethro and has this conversation, we should be communicating that word to others. Does that make sense? If God's done something great in your life, why would you not share it? Why would you not want to communicate that to others? How do they know? How do people get to know that Jesus is who he says he is, that we follow Jesus? You see here in the story of Moses, Jethro is witness to miracles. Jethro is witness to the people of Israel being preserved and taken from the land of Egypt. And as we move into the New Testament and we see that Jesus has died for us and rescued us, and he, as we see in Moses, is not an inadequate judge who, who needs help. Jesus is the ultimate judge who can deal with all of our problems and all of our issues and has come and made all things right as he lived the perfect life that none of us could live and died the death that all of us deserve. Jesus is the ultimate judge. And as we see that, God's called us to declare it. As we see the truth and the story of God in our lives and the grace story that he's laced in each of your lives, God has called you to declare it. God has called you to declare it to your father-in-law, to your mother-in-law, to whoever's in your life, whoever you know, because your story is unlike everybody else's, but God's done something specific with you. Amen? Think of our story as a church. Isn't it remarkable? I mean... How long ago were we hanging out in the youth room of another church on Sunday nights with a few people worshiping God, thinking, gosh, what it would it be like to be able to gather on a Sunday morning in a building, right? Anybody remember this? It wasn't that long ago. And then this building came up for sale, and we all looked at each other and said, wow, there's no way we can do that. <laughs> there's no way we can afford it. There's no way we could renovate it. And God has shown himself so faithful to us. Let's declare it to those around us. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have done something for us. Thank you that you have been so gracious to us. Don't let us forget your provision and your grace in our lives. Help us to share our grace stories. To anyone who listened, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Right, let's stand and uh, respond to that message.